My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome to the post-credit pod. We've got a great show for you today. Episode four of WandaVision. I would say arguably the most important episode thus far. Interesting. Interesting word for it. I like that. Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack here, and I think a lot that potentially sets up the rest of the season, which is very important, Eric. But before we get to that, we got a lot of really cool news over the last week. A lot of little stories, big stories, interesting stories that have specific appeal to just you and I and how specifically nerdy we are, which is cool. Uh, the first of which is the first trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong released. We need Kong. The world needs him. To stop what's coming. And this child. She's the only one he'll communicate with. I knew that they had a bond. She had nowhere to go, so I made a promise to protect her. that in some way Khan did the same. I said on Twitter, this kind of looks more like a mid-2000s UFC hype video than it does a movie trailer, and I did mean that in a bad way, unfortunately. I, uh, you know, Adam Wingard's directing his last Ooh, two movies. Oops! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was perfect. Um, for those that don't know, he was responsible for Netflix's god-awful, atrocious adaptation of Death Note. But he was also the guy behind The Guest, which wasn't so bad. So, I don't know. Listen, big kaiju fighting each other is fun. This, but- this bothers me. And you know where we've seen this happen before with this very studio? The DCEU. Man of Steel was created as a grounded gritty approach to an iconic character right back in 2014 that is what they had with godzilla yes it wasn't particularly good but it was interesting it was trying something it was trying something new right yeah but once everybody got sucked into the connected universe building way of doing business they abandoned that and i pointed it out on the post cred pod twitter if you look at the first two trailers for Godzilla 1 and 2. They're some of the most gorgeous trailers of the last few years, and it's not even like a hyperbolic claim. The uh, the King of Monsters is set to Claire de Lune, and there's all of these beautiful shots of the yeah. monsters and all that. I mean, it, 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 it was at least trying to convey that, yes, while this is going to be a smash em up, at least we're still going for the artistic trying to salvage whatever artistic qualities we can. They've thrown that all out here completely, you know? And and while that may make for a more entertaining watch, people may this will probably be the most talked about of the of the four in this universe so far. What is that? That's so that's the two Godzillas and Kong. Yeah. Both because A, it's the two of them, and uh B because it's going straight streaming, which I think it's sort of the perfect thing, right? Like, this is the sort of thing that you would only really go out of your way to see if you heard it was good. If you heard it was bad, you'll say, ah, I'll just wait until I could could watch it home. So while I think this might, in some cases, be their most successful, I don't think there's any doubting that it will also be their worst film. Here's the thing with me. I saw everybody on Twitter saying, like, yeah, who cares if it looks dumb? It's a bunch of kaiju, you know, Which fighting. is fine, exactly. I that totally is agree fine, with that. But that was the recipe for King of the Monsters, which was a huge critical and commercial failure. And everyone was pretty much in agreement. Like, that sucked. So like, why would we want to repeat that formula here? I don't because understand. Godzilla, bro. I mean, sorry, <laughs> because Kong, bro. I, I don't why. understand how people can have such selective amnesia <laughs> when it comes to the construction of these movies. You They're know, like, and- this is all I want. I'm like, but that's not what you said three years ago. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, I'm not going to judge the whole movie from a very quick trailer, but I will say that that first trailer did not, you know, move my needle. And by well, the way, how I love your Batman you- mug. Thank you. Thank you. How else do you expect them to sell that film though? Right. You know, like that, that is their one route. Yeah, no. And I I get it. It's just, I think Kong Skull Island was a really, really good balance of ridiculousness. I think that 
embrace the inherent silliness of these concepts, which are giant beasts fuck each other up. And I think it did it in a way that was matched by the characters around it. I mean, uh, who's our guy from Step Brothers who we love, who's in a million? John, uh, John, yeah, John C. C. Riley. Yeah, I couldn't remember his. You know, his character's ridiculous in this movie, but it fits completely. Samuel Jackson is the most cartoonish villain he's ever played, but it fits completely. You know, here we have all of our human characters being like, oh, Godzilla and King Kong made this bond to this little girl. And I'm like, guys, take it down a notch. Like, yeah. you don't know what movie you're in or Godzilla and Kong don't, knew, don't know what movie they're in. Someone has to meet someone else halfway. Right, yeah, yeah. But bottom line is we'll probably both watch it the day it comes out. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Listen, <laughs> like I said, I'm not going to judge the movie based on that one trailer yeah. completely. I am going to say, though, that if we're analyzing and evaluating that trailer, it didn't move my needle. Yep, okay. And you know how much I like a needle move. <laughs> <laughs> you dug. Right, you dug. Up, speaking of HBO Max, we've got The Little Things, Denzel's new murder mystery, which arrives in theaters and on HBO Max today. You and I have not seen it yet. Reviews have been pretty much terrible across the board, sadly. Uh, and it also has your favorite actor in it, Jared Well, Leto. color me fucking shocked. The film starring Leto stinks. And sort of Rami Malek is sort of Jared Leto light. They're vaguely similar. Like, I feel like they're overrated as hell because they got an award for... I, I think they're for, both good actors. I'm going to uh, put that out there. All right. Well, let's just, let's just say that I excited for this because this is the kind of thing that people say that they want they want you know a drama film with big stars okay so i am going to there's no dinosaurs or jedi yep you know and in terms of name talent you know this is up there with any film we'll see this year in terms of acting pedigree three oscar winners that's really all all you could hope for yeah and we can touch on it next week in our in our next upcoming pod but yeah, I hope it's better than what they're saying. But when the entire critical community is usually aligned, I'm like, well, that's not a great sign. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now I'm, I'm smushing these next two news updates together because they're really both parts of a larger story, I think. And that is that HBO Max is developing an animated Game of Thrones series and a live action Harry Potter series. And to me, this is, even though all of these developments were probably long in the works way before last month when Disney gave their Investor Day promotion. The report said it as much. There you go. So yeah, there you go. So it's been a while in the works for a while. But the reason why I think they lumped together is because it's hard not to say Warner Media is going full Disney in the sense that they are doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on their biggest franchises and brands much like disney plus has 10 marvel and star wars series coming up we're finally getting an expansion of the game of thrones universe the wizarding world and it's going to be this whole cross-platform streaming to theaters uh lived in interconnected universe and i think that makes sense for a warner media that has thus far somewhat resisted that with certain brands you know it, it was only a matter of time until game of thrones was was blown out even further and until we got a live action harry potter tv show yeah uh we've talked about thrones a bunch or the throne shows a bunch so there's no real need to delve into that except for saying that animated is exciting because now it makes the scope unbounded right there is nothing that they can't show in that so through that, that makes it a very interesting thing because... And they did say it's supposed to be, you know, adult skewing. It's not like, uh, you know, like a PG version just because it's animated. It's going right. to be like Grown Ups Dragon Prince on Netflix. Yeah. So, and in terms of Potter, you and I hate the... and Well, I don't know if you do, but I am not a fan of the yeah, Fantastic Beast films. So... There was always going to, this franchise was always going to pop back up in some form. It doesn't surprise me that they're doing that here. What I would like to see is a show not based on kids. I think it would be cool to change the where it takes place, when it takes place, all that stuff. Um, as to what it would be, I don't really have enough knowledge about that world. So I can't really speak on it. But I think it's a smart move. The most popular, I would say, like fan casting choice for years, years has been 
a young Tom Riddle show. That doesn't necessarily mean him as a kid, but just a, you know, a pre I'm full on Voldemort type of exploration. Now that's the obvious choice. So for that reason, I doubt that is what it is. Having said that, like, would I want to see that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I doubt that they would uh, do a show based on a bad guy, especially for what amounts to books for kids. Tom Marvolo Riddle. Yeah. I've been actually trying to re-watch those because it's been a while since I've like watched them through. I can't find them streaming anywhere. There's 10,000 fucking spots to watch these things these days, and I can't find it. They'll on be of... back on Peacock in the near future. Okay. Thank you. That's where, that's where you can find them. They were on HBO Max for the first three months, but that was only because it, Warner Media made a temporary deal because they still have an output deal with NBC Universal. So. Anyone looking to watch them? Peacock in the near future. <laughs> All right, next bit of news. Now, there is debate as to whether or not this was a joke. Ryan Reynolds tweeted that Deadpool 3, the original plan before Fox got gobbled up by Disney, was for Logan and Deadpool to go on a rush, like a road trip together. Now, he said in the tweet, for real, I still don't know. The context here is that it's in a tweet about the Bell Let's Talk. And the Bell Let's Talk is a Canada-based online campaign to end the stigma around mental health. So as jokey as Reynolds can be, this doesn't seem like a topic he would embed a joke to. I mean, this man jokes about everything. Here's my question. Do you see Hugh Jackman? Why not? Why not? He A, he loves to play the character. B, him and Ryan Reynolds clearly have a real-life friendship. C, I'm sure he'd get paid well. And D, as you like to point out about Chris Evans returning as Hydra Cap, this would allow him to explore a sort of new side of the character. That's, that's a pretty, four reasons right there. That's a pretty good argument, Eric. I got to <laughs> give it to you on that one. I think at the end of the day, I, I still lean towards joke. And, and as for Hugh Jackman, he is such a committed artist, someone who genuinely does be- believe in the quality of storytelling that I don't necessarily see him undoing what is universally agreed upon to be this beautiful, harrowing conclusion to his nearly two decade journey for a kind of action R-rated comedy romp in which he would basically be the second version of Cable, the straight man to Deadpool's wacky hijinks. I just don't know if that was going to be the case. But man, if it was, that would be, I mean, that would be just a blast. Would I want to see it? Yeah. Yeah. But I also, I also believe in the integrity of the ending that Logan provides. Oh, that is, uh, of course, that is. I don't want that to be undone. Yeah. Now, will it? Eventually, like, you know, with all the multiverse and everything, do you think Hugh Jackman appears in a, in a split-second cameo at some point in the next 10 years as Wolverine? No, only because he's too old. He's, I think yeah, they've got to start. I, I think they've got I think I think they've got to start fresh now because this is a character that they're going to want to rely on for 10-ish years, right? So I think the next Wolverine that we see will be the new one. I also just want to go on record here saying I just couldn't care less about comic book comic book accurate costumes or getting a short guy to play Wolverine. Yeah, Those same. are two huge points of contention on Twitter. And I just want to let everyone know like preemptively before people start asking, I just will <laughs> never care about either of those for like, for any, any comic book. Like I don't need like Superman's thing to be the iconic red, white, and blue. Just do whatever you want. I don't, it yeah. doesn't really matter to me that yep. much. Agreed. So, you know, I just want to put that out there. All right. Speaking of Superman, it is official as of today. Zack Snyder has revealed that his Justice League cut will debut on HBO Max on March 18th. Uh, I believe Godzilla vs. Kong is March 31st off the top of my head. I think that's true. Correct. Um, interestingly, sandwiched in between those, March 19th is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier's debut Oof, on Disney+. We eaten in March. So we're definitely eaten in March. So... First of all, that's a clear shot across the bow from Warner Media, correct? I know that there wasn't a ton of room on the schedule. You tell me, kid. This is your space. I, it's hard for me to believe it's it's anything but. But they've had it planned for March for some time. Yeah, but they hadn't had a specific date. Now, that doesn't mean it is a direct shot, but, you know, 24 hours separating two 
massively anticipated comic book materials. It's interesting, wouldn't true. you say? Yeah, true. But I am stoked that it's confirmed to be a film. I would have rather the the miniseries. You know, yeah, I, I you would have preferred. You are not hyped for this at all, and you would have preferred them drag this out for a month. I just don't know if I'm gonna sit down into like one fell swoop and bang this out. You know, this oh, might yeah. be like a multi chunk watch for me. Yeah, I'm trying to we'll screeners see. for that. Good luck with that. Really? I don't know you think so? I don't know if they're gonna be sending out screeners, but if they really? do, obviously, yeah. Don't you think that they're gonna try and drive up hype any way they can? Listen, I, I hope so, so we can plan a pot around it. It would make yeah. it easier for us. For sure. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, that, you know, that's, that's my want. number one consideration. <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, so guys, we we have been relatively mostly down on the whole Snyder Cut experience since the jump, but we're going to review it with, with open eyes. We're going to talk about it here, you know, going into it, wanting it to be good, because as we've said a million times, these are some of our favorite characters. I don't know if you've noticed, but Eric's a Batman fan. I'm a Superman fan. I was going to say, my bar for it is so low that if it's as good as BVS, I'll be hyped. If it was as good as BVS, for me, following the really crappiness of the theatrical cut, I would be satisfied as well. I I would, And that's coming from someone who doesn't love BVS. Yeah, same though. Exactly. The first 45 minutes of BVS are definitely awesome. Yeah, for sure. Because they're all Batman. <laughs> it's my guy. <laughs> and, and, you know, I would say for me too, and the general public when it was first announced was not on board with Ben Affleck as Batman. When it was first announced, I mean, he goes on Jimmy Kimmel saying, uh, or, or one of the late nights, saying how Warner Brothers told him to stay off social media after the announcement and how he went on and everyone was like, no, you know, that there's a clip of that. So it's not like I'm making that up. I didn't see, that's weird because at the time I wasn't that bummed about it. I was like, okay, I could see it. I, I and it turned out to be good. It. And I think a lot of, a lot of the mainstream public was, was thinking it's going a little too Hollywood, but yeah, he turned out to be in that movie, an awesome Batman. And, and it's a great setup for uh, presumably a great setup for the flash where he'll, he'll actually sign off as Batman. Yep. Hopefully the flash is awesome. It's been through such developmental hell that I'm, I'm, I'm excited, but I worried a little bit. It's a lot to pull off if they do it. Great. If they don't, I won't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's well said. I think it's a fair assessment. All right. You want to hop into WandaVision? Because this Let's episode had, had a lot of nuts and bolts to explore, yep. I would say. Episode four, All we right. interrupt this program. Which, great title, by the way. Because that is exactly what they did. Yeah. They literally disrupt the flow, which I love. Um, okay, so it starts with Captain Monica Rambeau, who we know is an agent of S.W.O.R.D. She basically returns to life following the blip to find her mother Maria who we know from Captain Marvel has sadly died of cancer in the five years that Monica's been blipped out of existence so this was a wild way to start this one because at first I didn't really know what was going down because it was so it was the snap in reverse when they all came back and at first I thought we were seeing an example of her powers you know like oh she could she could decompose herself and re put herself back together i was like oh wow that's fucking sweet power but then you hear (laughs) like then you hear like screaming and i'm like oh this is not what it is but in that scene funnily enough you do see a glimpse of her power when she's running and she runs into that guy and she fucking levels him like i wanted to touch on that she bodies that guy so they make a point to show how like bodied that guy gets um, I also don't think she realizes what she's capable of. She I don't think a little so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out, so, out of sorts when she was like, "Whoa!" Did yeah, I just so we'll see. That? Yeah, so we'll see what's up with that. I mean, she's gonna play a role as we know in Captain Marvel two. So we're probably gonna learn a lot about her that sets her up for that film and perhaps more films. This was a very cool scene. Really, this cool. was this was once again this show showing that its ability to experiment with tone you know, specifically horror-esque themes, reversal of the way that they played it in Far From Home, where it was sort of played for laughs, which is a very, I mean, I I guess since that is a, not a kid film, but it is meant to be one of the more, one of the MCU's more childish takes on that world. It doesn't shock me that that's the way they did it, but the reversal of that, and which was almost as scary as the snap itself. 
Yeah, I mean, I think when you put those two side by side and you ask me which do I prefer, which is the better storytelling example, I'm going to choose this WandaVision scene over Far From Home every time. And I wrote my notes immediately. I really like how they're coloring in the shading of the snap with some more real world examples and the chaos that ensues. Because I understand that it's a completely unrealistic, ridiculous thing. People snapped in and out of existence. But if we're taking the Marvel Cinematic Universe at face value, I do want to see realistically how the world responds to that and to be dropped into that moment of people returning. There's sheer chaos going on no one knows what's going on plus even weirder than that just to jump in she's conscious of herself as her hand is coming back into place handles it like a champ yeah immediately he's like where's my mom you know like i had i had priorities before i got snapped which like you know i'd be like what the fuck just happened i wouldn't be like oh yeah other people exist (laughs) so i respect that about her so yeah I, i thought this was a great opening to this episode and in my piece for observer I compared it to an in-media res dream where an emergency is happening and you wake up and you're still shaken from that feeling. That's the kind of vibe I got from that. For sure. Great call. Now, three weeks later, Monica is kind of getting her sea legs back under her. She's figuring out that what the fuck just happened to the universe. And she is returning to work at S.W.O.R.D. And because of- Which they point out her mom built. Yeah, her mom built, and because of her mom's foresight for people potentially returning, she's actually grounded to terrestrial missions, no uh, kind of extraterrestrial space stuff going on. So acting director Tyler Hayward sends her to help FBI agent Jimmy Woo, who's played by Randall Park, who we know from the Ant-Man movies, uh, with a missing persons case in, where else, Eric? Westview, New Jersey. Uh, and they discovered that there is, <laughs> I like that shout out. They discovered that there is a hexagonal, which is important, static field surrounding the town. Which what does was, that mean exactly? What, 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 no, I know what that is, but what, what do they mean? Oh, like the shape around the town, the border of that force field creates a six sided shape? Yeah, I would assume that wanda's reality is a hexagonal shape because it takes up physical space and as many people know and some people might not the hexagon is also associated often with like satanic worship as is 666 which popped up in i believe the commercial for the toaster or something okay so there's a lot of devil iconography in wandavision which lends credence to the idea that mephisto may be the ultimate villain but we'll come back to that in a second um, so this force field, not only is it giving locals selective amnesia where they literally don't remember Westview, New Jersey, even though they're talking feet from the sign, but it also is kind of distorting reality. Uh, within 24 hours after Monica has been pulled into this force field, and Jimmy Woo is like, WTF, guys. Uh, Sword establishes a base around the town. They send drones in. They send another agent in who turns out to be the beekeeper. Uh, Dr. Darcy Lewis plays by Kat Dennings, who we last saw in Thor The Dark World. She is an astrophysicist. Her and other experts are basically recruited to bring in and study the phenomenon. And while she's studying what the fuck is going on, she notices background radiation that when hooked up to all of her machines, actually comes across as a broadcast signal, which is the sitcom WandaVision. What we have been watching as a TV show is playing out on a screen in front of Kat Dennings. All right, so let's dive into Kat Dennings, and then we'll dive into sort of what this force field means for A, where the show is going, and B, sort of how we've kind of called our shot here. So Kat Dennings, as we know, is playing a character named Darcy Lewis, who we Dr. see- Dr. Darcy Lewis. Well, I'm going to get there. <laughs> we see her in Thor and Thor the Dark World. And at the time, she's a political science major working as Jane Foster's intern. She's now a doctor of astrophysicist. So, Flex. Yeah. Flex on him right quick. So obviously a lot has changed. Dennings once said at her, quote, that she's really bad at science in this first movie. In the next film, she's more interested, but she still doesn't know much about it. So clearly she's gone on to become sort of a go-to doctor, the fact that S.W.O.R.D. would loop her in. 
She's probably um, a genius. Yeah. To be that young and to do it that quickly. And I guess combined with, you know, what she went through with Thor and then seeing what Thanos did, you know, now she's sort of invested in, in that field. Now, sure. let's talk about this hexagonal energy field. The droid that they send in is the It's not helicopter- the one we're looking for. Nailed it. What? It's not the one we're looking for. Nailed it. Is that a quote from Star Wars? Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> just going to assume it is. Quote. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Well done. <laughs> well, Thank you. Thank well, you. Please continue. Um, so the droid that they send in is the toy helicopter that we saw in episode two. Also of note, when the beekeeper goes in, the cable that he's attached to turns into a jump rope. Yeah. So this reality field is literally changing the nature of the world. And I loved what Jimmy Woo said when him and Kat Dannings are discussing why things are changing. And he's like, maybe to fit the production design, which is both hilarious and completely <laughs> insightful because he's right. Yeah. Wanda's powers is changing it to fit the production design. And the fact that it is TV show as reality is just such a mind fuck. So you could see why they're trying to keep this contained. If everything starts to turn into fucking toys and shit, that's not good. So um, now, Someone says to Darcy, we've been told the radiation, the CMBR, which is a real thing, is within a safe limit. And she says, for now. And that brings us back to the sort of leaking out theory with Dr. Strange that we've talked about this whole time. Yeah. It's contained for now. (laughs) But once this alternate reality literally starts to bleed into the real world and starts to change the very fabric of that world, guess what, folks? They've got a fucking problem on their hands. <laughs> and I don't think that there's going to be anybody capable of literally containing alternate realities than the man whose job is to do exactly that. So this was once again a sort of huge step towards that we think Doctor Strange is going to show up. And at this point, I would offer Wanda uh, a an appeasement. I would say you can absorb Newark into your fake reality if you leave, you know, Hoboken and Jersey City. That's what I would try to offer her at the negotiating team table. <laughs> she has all the leverage though, because she can just probably expand that bad boy at will, which obviously they are worried about at Sword as well. So I don't think she's going to take that deal. What do you think, Eric? I'm not sure she's even in a place to take a deal. That's sort of one of the. No, no, she's not. But. I, I think the, the worry is that she could subconsciously start expanding. Not only is the radiation leaking out, but suddenly the hexagon grows twice in, in size and, and all the surrounding individuals and buildings and space have now been sucked into this alternate reality or, or cast as actors, as they like to say in this episode. Yep. That's dangerous. So I like that they then kind of use this to observe events inside the town they learn that the real residents have been cast as characters in this sitcom they see monica who's disguised herself as geraldine and as eagle-eyed uh, uh twitter users have noticed from when they sent out that teaser trailer on thursday they id everybody in westview except agnes and Dottie is not on the board at all and the fact that she's not on the board along with agnes is very, very interesting. Yeah, so I want to dive into that more towards the end. But I do want to touch on here as to the ones that they do ID. Have they been unwillingly roped in? Is that what we're to assume here? Yeah, I mean, so I think it's maybe a mix of both. I think like someone like Herb, who clearly knows a little bit more what's going on, I would assume that self-awareness ebbs and flows and that maybe the longer they stay in there part of the threat to up the dramatic stakes is you know if they stay in there past x amount of time they they are lost forever yeah exactly they'll never come back to their real lives like oh we got to get them out of there like you know now we have a real race against the clock plot going on right that's my guess and that there are occasional moments during these odd behaviors like herb cutting through his his fence where something real is bleeding through and they're trying to fit all of that knowledge of two different realities in their head. And it's a little bit too much for them at some times. Now, Darcy and Jimmy then unsuccessfully attempt to use the radio to contact Wanda. And when Monica mentions Ultron, Wanda, we know from the last episode, just ejects her out of the town. 
and the sitcom illusion disappears. Wanda sees that Vision is actually a corpse. He's gray. He's missing the Mind Stone from when Thanos stole it out of his head. Horrified, she restores the illusion, does like a reset of her own. Monica wakes up at the sword base outside on the outskirts of the kind of hexagonal West View and states that it must be Wanda controlling the illusion. I thought all of this was just a really good stretch, particularly the horrific elements of a dead vision talking to Wanda. I thought that was a really good touch. That was a legitimately scary, surprising moment in a show that has otherwise been, you know, very agreeable. There's been well, they've been they've been on that line of, and they've been sort of leaning towards more uneasy than outright yeah. horror. But exactly. now they just they just dove in here, and not just through that quick look of vision, but also in Wanda herself when she turns on Monica, she's fucking scary she's in that moment. She's a regular human. Yeah. So there's a lot here that works. I am. I think we could now confirm that this will be a better experience if binged. Not that I didn't think that this was a strong week, but it's just now that it's clearly episode one through three is one thing. Episode four is the bridge. And now five through nine is going to be the sort of MCU film. That is a bingeable experience would be a blast here. Getting it parceled out piece by piece, I think sort of weakens the dramatic flow. I think, listen, now they've set up a potential structure in which maybe half an episode can be a decade-specific sitcom amalgamation and the other half can be the real world trying to break in and figure out what's going on to a greater extent. I would like that structure a lot. But I'm also wondering if on the sly, they did three weird episodes, one normal episode that pulls back the curtain and establishes some context, only to set up an even weirder, crazier, bonkers, bizarre five through nine. I'm not saying there won't be some more traditional Marvel climax elements, but a part of me is wondering if they're really roping in Doctor Strange and they're really trying to set up a lot of future storylines, what if they double down on how gonzo it is and the back half of this season is something wholly unexpected? I don't doubt that. And unlike most big project shows like Mando, whose trailer only included clips from the first half of the season there are scenes that we've seen in the trailer that we haven't seen yet in the show specifically a halloween type vibe which just seems like when all hell breaks entirely loose so i do think that you're right it has it has set up the back half in a very interesting way, especially given the context of what we've seen so far. And now that we know what is going on and the fact that they may continue with all this fuckery, but now we actually <laughs> are aware of the of what it is. I think that's great. But I would say that I do wish that I could watch this as one giant thing because it would just feel like one long MCU film. Casual fans probably... I agree as well, because like we said at the top of this, before we kind of hopped on the mic, we think Marvel released that teaser trailer yesterday because they had noticed on social media maybe a tipping point of your everyday fans being like, I I don't know if I'm going to continue with WandaVision, you know? And so they gave us a slice of the real world. But do you think that this is one to hook people back in? I'm not so sure of that. I don't know if they gave enough to if you were on the fence. You think so, yeah. Anecdotally speaking two friends who had expressed skepticism to me about WandaVision thus far texted me this morning, completely independent of one another being like, all right, I'm on board. All right. So, and listen, that's not representative of millions and millions of viewers, of course. but anecdotally speaking, I think it was, I think it does perhaps suggest a trend going on. And just from my own kind of critic point of view, I do think this is enough. If you're a pre-existing Marvel fan to be like, all right, you know, I can stick around. So let's dive in. Did they confirm that this is Wanda's world, right? Does that make Wanda the quote unquote bad guy? Probably not. More likely is that as we've talked about, Wanda created her own world and Mephisto and or Agatha Harkness discovered it and are looking to take advantage of Wanda through it and are trying to hide in plain sight and let her sort of go about her madness and siphon off her power, I suppose, or her children when and where they can. Do you think that that's apt? 
I think that's the case, and I think perhaps it's going to end up that Mephisto's the bad guy and Agnes is there to help, I think, because that, that has some comic Agnes is here is there to help her or to help him? Oh, no, ultimately there to help Wanda. I, I think Agnes might turn out to be a good person, even if she's a bit nefarious at the moment. Okay, I like that, because Catherine Hahn just doesn't see, I mean, because she could pull it off. But at the end of the day, I feel like she is somebody that you would have her turn out to be like she has that sort of, oh, she's been the good guy the whole time vibe to her general being. (laughs) Then again, as we've said in previous pods, we wouldn't be surprised if Ralph, her husband, who we still haven't seen, is the bad guy and she's totally in cahoots with him. Right. That that might be the case as well. They might be a team. Now, let me ask you, given that Wanda seems to be in control of this whole show, Why isn't she realizing that these outside forces have invaded her world? I think she has because she keeps resetting. She resets when she sees the beekeeper because she... No, I mean, no. She's aware of those ones, but she's not aware of Agnes and Dottie. And they're oh, and, correct. And, and, Presuming and, and, that they are something more than what we've seen. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great question. I, I don't know. Perhaps... She... Their powers are shielding them. If they have powers, that's how they're able to sort of sneak through. Because she sort of sniffs out Geraldine, who they didn't touch but on. also blows her own cover. Yes, but they didn't touch on how the hell she knew that. Like, is that common knowledge? I guess. But she just sort of blurts that out, which I would have liked that they explained. The only logical reason is that Agnes and Dottie are clearly using some sort of power to shield themselves and sort of sneak past her um the sort of glitches or as darcy calls it censoring in the broadcast which we see in two scenes one with Dottie and one with monica do we think wanda is doing that or do we think someone else is because they are because they happen when things are going wrong yeah and i thought censoring the broadcast was a very interesting way to phrase that we had initially assumed that it was wanda and that She was resetting and controlling and doing that all herself. But censoring the broadcast, it says to me, especially because we know that the broadcast they saw does not match up with the rest of her conversation with Monica, which we saw in this episode that didn't quote unquote make it to air. It says to me, perhaps there's something else that is also pulling strings and it's not just Wanda because they're trying to make it seem like she's doing just fine, right? They want to yeah. paint this picture of Wanda's in her happy life, blah, blah, blah. When, but whenever something starts to go wrong, the feed cuts. And I have no doubt that Wanda herself is causing like the resets because that's for her own sanity. But why would the broadcast to the outside world be of any importance to her whatsoever? She is either not aware of it or doesn't care about it most likely. Someone else would have to care to go in, snip, snip, edit, to make sure S.W.O.R.D. is seeing what they want them to see. And as we saw with Darcy and Jimmy, they play it off for laughs, how invested they are, as if it's a real TV show. But what if that's the goal? They want to keep subtly suggesting to the, the people trying to figure out what's going on. It's just a TV show. There's nothing too off. It's nothing to worry about too much. It's just a little sitcom. That would make sense to me as this manipulative ploy with something else going on underneath, something much more sinister. And then one last point I want to make to sort of tie in a few big points, both about how this is Wanda's world and how I am all in on the Doctor Strange. By the way, Wanda's Strange. world sounds like a great sitcom in itself. Yeah, I would right? watch an episode it, of that. It, it, it could have been called that. Uh, Wanda currently seems, if not unable, unwilling to sort of end this charade. She turns her back on the real world at every corner, which only increases the chances of them having to loop in Strange. Because if they're not only working against some evil demonic force but also wanda herself forget about it it's a wrap how long did they say monica was in there like a weekend right it was like 48 hours i don't know it was something like that i don't understand how another avenger isn't on the scene already you know (laughs) like i like i get it swords covers this stuff guys an entire town has been <laughs> taken hostage, for lack of a better term. Like, let's get some, like, heavy hitters on this. Yeah. Why is there no one if else? Not, if not just for a show of force. 
Yeah, if, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, but why isn't that your first call? Like, like president's like, all right, get sword on it. I'd be like, motherfucker, no, get well, strange where is on Do- it. Where is Doctor Strange? He literally tells Tony, my job is to protect your reality douchebag. Uh, hey, buddy, there is a fucking TV world reality in Jersey exploding. You should probably pull up, my man. Come on. Wonder, what are you doing? I wonder if it's going to be I get, an I get situation. that he – oh, he did just get snapped back. He did, and I was wondering if it's going to be an X-Men situation in which they explain how they incapacitated Professor X because the plot needed to move forward. And, like, I wonder if it's like, oh, sorry, guys, like – I, was I, I, I just have to go fight Thanos, but I'm here now. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we, we're going to need some heavy hitters. This is an emergency that S.W.O.R.D. can't handle, bro. Yeah, but, I mean, are you are you now sold? Because I went back to uh, to our old podcast to cut the clip of me. I, I called this shot. I think I called it once in September and then again in Obey. November. You said that you did not see Strange showing up. Are you ready to renege that stance now? Yeah, but we, I, re, I went back on that on our last episode. Okay, but you're sold now, I'm saying. Yeah, oh yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think Strange is, is popping up. Okay. Popping and up I, or featuring? I, like, popping I, I'm popping theorizing up. there is there could be an episode entirely with Strange. Obviously, I would like that. But I would say right now popping up in a Luke Skywalker-esque type of like, all right, I'm going to fucking save the day. Gotcha, gotcha. Or now, at least not save the day because we know it sets up Spider-Man three and Doctor Strange two. So at <laughs> the very least, just it's connect. Just like it's just like it's funny to me almost because this shit literally is his number one job. Like it is a negligence of duty for him to not be there. It is so <laughs> egregious. If if the rest of like the sorcerers were still alive and hadn't all been killed in the the first Doctor Strange. I think there'd be like a big mutiny on on their hands because all the students, all like the other professors at at his Hogwarts would be like, "Hey, man, we there's gotta a, get on this." There's and a he's full like, blown oh. leak. We've got a leak in Isle, New Jersey, dog. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta you gotta you gotta get after this, my man. You live in Brooklyn or wherever the fuck. We gotta take care of this. Yeah, it's really not far. <laughs> oh Jesus! All right, awards <laughs> and categories? categories. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. All right, the Infinity Gauntlet Award. So the real MVP award. Fine. I'll do it myself. Mine is going to Thanos' Thanos monologuing, specifically the line, (laughs) balance as all things should be. Because after three episodes of a gonzo commitment to the sitcom bit, which I really liked, and I've said it on this podcast, I'm a fan, they balance it out with a much-needed episode of the real world pulling back the curtain, establishing a little bit more clarity in terms of what's going on and what the rest of the show may look like. So balanced as all things. It's funny. Mine mine is sort of like yours, and I actually think I stole this from you from a past podcast, but I'm going with the construction of the show. Totally gonzo, totally ballsing, and totally working. The fact that they used Cad Dennings and Randall Park as sort of audience stand-ins asking what we've asked this entire time watching the show in the same way that we watch the show it's such a risk it's meta it's outside the box and i am enjoying the hell out of it and i I just want to make clear just because i think it would be better binged doesn't mean i don't think it's good now i'm just thinking on the whole as a total package yeah yeah i think it's and i think especially when we're talking about the audience as a whole and not people like you and I, whose job it is to literally ponder everything about Marvel, it would be more effective as a binge. Yeah. And that's, and that's coming from me who has always said the weekly release is better for sustained engagement for a streaming service, for attracting subscribers over nine weeks, you know, that, which is true, but this probably works from a storytelling perspective better as a binge for your average everyday fan. All right. The Thor, the dark world, the war for worst performance. Needn't have come so far, Asgardian. Death would have come to you soon enough. Not by your hand. Uh, like no one's egregiously bad here. I think maybe the character as written, uh, Darcy is is a bit flippant in an emergency situation with the leader of Sword. And like I know that the other underling disrespected her and didn't get her coffee and didn't call her doctor. Which, if you're a doctor, you should be called doctor. 
But like, I just don't know if taking it out on the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D. during a legitimate otherworldly crisis is the best time to be a little snarky, I, you know. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the vibe that she brings. She was the same way in the Thors. Um, I actually blame this one on Kat Dennings herself. That's who I put down here. You're giving her more of the benefit of the doubt and saying that it's the writing and the character herself. But yeah, just sort of the character, whether that be the performance or the script, just sort of feels like a caricature more than a character. I wonder how they'll balance it moving forward because I, I don't think you bring her in there only for comic relief. I, I got to believe at one point she's going to have some type of eureka breakthrough for moment. For sure, for sure, yeah. All right, how about the Jarvis Award for the best performance by anyone except the lead actor? Allow me to introduce myself. I am Jarvis, a virtual artificial intelligence, and I'm here to assist you with a variety of tasks as best I can. This is obvious, right? Gotta be our man, Randall, right? He is so, he's so great. Just the way that he subtly moves his face, like when he, uh, that joke, when she asks him if he would like some, and he starts to talk about like, yeah, I would love to have <laughs> my own kid and put a little badge on him. Just his face is fucking hilarious in that scene. He's, he's a joy. Put him in as much MCU stuff as you want. He's sort of like a more fun Agent Coulson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, have you seen Always Be My Maybe? No, but no, but I've heard great he's, things. He's excellent in that. You got to see that. I also think there's a reason the Asian gym prank has endured the test of time. Not only is it a brilliantly constructed prank in the office, but he is so good and memorable in that <laughs> one scene that, you know, 10, 12 years later, however long it's been, I still YouTube it. People still talk about it. It's still a meme, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think Randall Park he needs to be in everything. For sure. Awesome. For sure. All right, the what the fuck award for what are you most confused about thus far? How do you know about this? I don't even know what that is. I'm just a junker, man. I would still say we we have a many theories and we have many Easter eggs, but we still have literally no clue on the actual antagonist of WandaVision. We think it could be this guy. We think it could be that person. We think this character. But we got to remember we're 45% of the way through. And we don't really know what the actual conflict is. Is it we're just trying to get Wanda to stop projecting an alternate reality? I think or that is. No, I mean, as we just laid out, her world is expanding. And that's a problem. She starts to turn stuff into toys and people into characters from the I want to see it actually expand. That is, I do want to see it, like, absorb Newark. And everyone's like, oh, this is a really big problem now. Yeah. Because that ups, no, that ups We've the lost Newark. Thing. We've lost Newark. Is that a bad thing? It's definitely not as bad as losing, like, Jersey City and Hoboken, in my opinion. Shout out. No offense to Newark. My mom was born there, so don't don't hate me on Twitter. Uh, for my what the fuck award, I touched on this before. Why Wanda, if she's in such control of this world, can't sense that Agnes and Dottie aren't her own creation. Yeah, I, I like that. That would be interesting. Although then again, at the same time, the, there are real people in this world. They've just been cast as characters. Yes, but she's, but she, but, but they've been ID'd, right? So that means that there's something different than the ones who have not been. So the fact that, and the fact that she is, you know, as soon as Beekeeper pops up, she's like, fuck this. Or as soon as <laughs> Geraldine steps to her, she's like, fuck you. So the fact that she's had multiple conversations with Agnes and Dottie and hasn't been like what we call in the biz a red flag, you know, come on, Wanda. It is a plot hole to me right now. I'm sure it'll be addressed. Yeah, for sure. It's too good of a point not today. It's right. too obvious. All right, the Time Stone That Real Quick Award, basically our Rewind That Real Quick Award. This is kind of, for me, tied to the What the Fuck Award. And I watched it a couple different times because there's no actual answer shown on scene what happens to the beekeeper we don't see him return to the real world we don't necessarily see him move spots he just kind of we, we get a rewind well they cut off they they cut off the scene there specifically to make yeah. it seem like something not good just <laughs> happened because <laughs> geraldine's ejected into the real world we see that his cord has turned into a jump rope that the real world now has, but we don't know what actually happens to him. And that's a terrifying thought. This is a problem. Dr. Strange needs to get the fuck on the scene as soon as possible. At least send Wong. Like, where is anybody? <laughs> Guys, this is what your job is. 
Sorcerer Supreme would be very disappointed if she was still alive. Um, my time stone, real quick, is sort of that ending scene where Elizabeth Olsen shows this amazing stretch where she shifts from being a horror character herself to a horrified character. Yeah. To then a heartbroken character, all in the space of like a minute. Wicked stuff. They throw in a aspect ratio change as well. So I would say that ending scene where she's sort of combating with her feelings and the real world and and using her powers and seeing vision with this dome piece ripped out. It's just it was very intense stuff and it was it was dope. <laughs> and and now that we're just on the time stone that real quick award, I took a screenshot and I highly recommend everyone go back and just look at it as best they can of Randall Parks, Jimmy Woo's questions on the chalkboard. Because I believe he, he there's a scroll reference in there. He's asking, you know, is it the same time and space as actual Westview? Just a lot of interesting little theories that we've relatively been talking about ourselves. And just a cool little like, ah, he really is a good audience surrogate. Yeah. And some, you know, potential hints maybe as well. Mm -hmm. All right, put this in Odin's Vault Award, our museum award. Odin's treasures. Fake. Most of the stuff in here is fake. I like your answer for this. You go first. Oh, so, so yeah, just sort of as you touched on, the way that they used Jimmy Woo, both the way in which they peeled back behind the curtain because they did so in a creative way that effectively, once again, changed the tone of this entire show. For a week, it became sort of a formulaic Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. type show. And you know what, Brandon? That's fine. And the way that they were both able to explain the plot to us do, and then do so in an entertaining way by having the characters, particularly Randall Park's character, who, as we said, is hilarious, sort of live through what we've lived through these last three weeks. It's just adding on top of the sort of meta construction that this show is. Totally. I really like that answer. It's, that's, that's a good one, Eric. Thanks, You're on top of it, buddy. Thanks, B. <laughs> I am going to go with the brief moment that we've now discussed a couple times of dead gray vision and i'm going with that because it was such an unexpected turn horrifying really scary yeah it it transitions from unease to actual horror for a quick minute minute and it does so there's no jump scare we're not at night there's no like intruder there's no horror gimmick it is just a deeply 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 unexpectedly unsettling moment and i think about that moment And I think about why Sam Raimi took over Doctor Strange 2 because Scott Derrickson wanted to make Marvel's first ever PG-13 horror movie. And ultimately the creative differences led him off the- Which leads leads me to believe that he was trying to just push it too far. And they're now going for Raimi's more sort of zany horror style. Probably, But that moment to me, right then and there, showed me that Marvel could do something along those lines that is both unsettling and within their world 100%. And even though I love Sam Raimi, even though I think Doctor Strange 2 is probably going to be fucking awesome, in that moment, I was a little bit disappointed that we were robbed of something completely fresh and potentially a little bit scary in the end. Yeah, I still th- I still have extremely my hopes for that are higher than that of Spider-Man 3. Your hopes for Doctor Strange 2 are higher than Spider-Man I 3. I think it has the potential to be a more interesting film. Spider-Man 3 will be a bigger film, but I think yeah. Doctor Strange could really be something special just because of the very, you know, Doctor Strange 1 broke grounds just in the way that the MCU looked and felt. Now that they're seemingly doubling down on that, and now that they've got an iconic director, I just think that it could be something special. I really do, yeah. I like that. I'm hoping for it. All right, Cap lifts the hammer award for our best hero moment. Well, yeah, I actually do. And it's sticking with our boy, Randall Park, Jimmy Woo. It's so little, but they test their ability to kind of get through the radio in Wanda's reality. And to them, it doesn't work. But Jimmy Woo, just being the good dude that he is, who knows also how to like orchestrate a team 
he's like, oh, good, good effort, Dr. Lewis. We'll get him next time. He says something encouraging instead of just saying like, oh, it didn't work, you fucking right. moron. <laughs> I'm just saying like, this is a guy you want on your team because he knows how to deal with interpersonal you know, dynamics. Answer. He's an optimistic guy. Like, I just love Jimmy Woo. I had one that sort of ties into something you said. So I'm going to steal what you said because this was a tough one. Um, but I'm going to go with Monica Rambeau when she sort of wakes up and the first thought on her mind is her mom. And then the, the, the first one that I wrote down before you said that was how she just sort of says, fuck it and walks right into that force field. <laughs> That's that a hero move. Yeah. yeah, that takes some balls. All right, what is the worst thing you can say about this episode? Yeah, I've said this a few times. I'm now convinced that this would be a more enjoyable final product if binged. I still appreciate and enjoy the week by week, both as a fan for viewing since it's stretched out and for our job since we could talk about it for nine weeks. But I think when it's all said and done, those who watch this in one stretch or one day will ultimately have a more complete complete experience agreed I, I think that's exactly mine as well at the end of the day it probably works better especially with casual fans in that manner what is the nicest thing you could say about this episode eric it further highlights how damn creative this show is you know we they've given us this very zany sitcom vibe the first three weeks and just like that it changes on a dime to a sort of very classic, you know, TV show, really just like shows that we now have in our real world, the very Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. And I think it sets up the back half of the season to be full of confrontation, both between S.W.O.R.D. and Wanda, S.W.O.R.D. and whatever devilish villain may pop up. Wanda versus S.W.O.R.D., Wanda versus that villain, et cetera, et cetera. Doctor Strange potentially verse Wanda and, and that villain. So there's a lot at play. Uh, I think, I definitely think the back half is going to be better than the front half by far. I would say that I found it very impressive that this episode could peel back the curtain and give us several answers we needed while also raising a ton of questions we've brought up and discussed and debated on this episode today. I think if you're able to do that, give people a morsel, leave them wanting more, then you're doing something right from a mystery storytelling perspective, you know? And that's ultimately what this is. It's a mystery we're trying to solve. Yep. So good job. All right, anything cool that we think is mentioning? I, I see you got a few notes here. I, I have a have great one. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the song that they play at the end, Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix, released in 1972. I looked up the year that it was because I thought since next week will be an 80s-themed show, we think. I thought that uh, the song might be from them. It's not. It's from... 1972 and the lyrics include when i stand up next to a mountain and i chop it down with the edge of my hand well i pick up all the pieces and make an island might even raise a little sand so i mean let's break that down while i stand up next to a mountain which i think is wanda and the real world and chop it down with the edge of my hand She's going to tear it all down so she could have, I will pick up the pieces and make an island. Her own world might even raise a little sand, her kids. Burn them all. <laughs> Boom. And then at the end, if I don't meet you no more in this world, then uh, I'll meet you in the next one and don't be late. So I think that this is an obvious thematic choice. And also just a dope rock song. <laughs> clear, clear allusions to a deeper meaning that is reflective of this alternate reality going on within WandaVision for sure. It was yep. a well-selected song. And obviously, you know, Jimi Hendrix is great. Yep. <laughs> All right. We got a couple Twitter questions to respond to that people are curious about. Always feel free to reach out with anything you guys got on your mind at postcredpod on Twitter. This first one comes from Mikey underscore P10. Agnes not having a license on her sheet on the board. With eye emojis, not a question, more of a statement, which I respect, something you and I have covered. And I think at this point, it's pretty obvious that she isn't just a Towns member. She is something much, much more, correct? Yeah, and I think the only question at this point is whether she's on Wanda's side or yeah. against her. It's tough because there's a distinction, right? Agnes is on the board, but she doesn't have an ID. Dottie is not on the board at all. 
And because Dottie seem while Agnes is quirky, she doesn't necessarily seem malevolent, whereas Dottie does. So if I ha- if so gun to head, if I had to guess, I think it is going to turn out that Dottie is a representation of the bad guy, whoever that bad guy may turn out being. I think Agnes may have Wanda's good intentions in mind. That said, the Ralph thing is going to be resolved at some point. So that leaves the door open as well to her being a bad guy. But yes, she, she's clearly sort of in on it. And we still have Evan Peters' mysterious appearance to go as well. We don't know who he's playing. It could be perhaps a multiversal version of Quicksilver. It could be someone else entirely. So that seems to tie into these types of mysteries that we're discussing right here, in my opinion. All right, second question is from at Chilean Stud 11. <laughs> Respect for the name. Also, this is just a really good question. Who you got in a fight, Wanda and Vision or Wanda and Cosmo, presumably from the Fairly, Fairly, Fairly Odd Parents? Let me just say that Fairly Odd Parents growing up was my show. Like back, yeah, it was a great I, show. I remember when it was like SpongeBob and that were the two big shows. I was like, fuck SpongeBob. Get SpongeBob out of here. Fairly Odd Parents was my shit. In the fourth grade, I had Cosmo and Wanda Folders. One green one and one pink one with their faces on. I love this show. I love the parents. Dickelberg. Yeah. Like there was a lot of like really funny shit in that show. Great show. I think that if they were actual MCU characters, their powers would perhaps be more expansive. Like the they're more powerful to, than Vision. That's for sure. To like create whatever they want and or whatever sort of world that they want. I definitely think Wanda, like if it was a betting odd, right? I think they'd be minus 110 each. I think it'd be an even bout. I think so. And also just adding to the fairly odd parents uh, fanhood, Chip Skylark, man, my shiny teeth and me. That's a full on jam. That's a bop. That's like a full, one of the best fictional pop songs in pop culture history (laughs) for sure. But yeah, I mean, listen, they can literally turn Vision into the goldfish that they pretend to be, like right off the bat. So like he's immediately <laughs> eliminated. I bet it would be a little bit more difficult turning Wanda Maximoff into something because she could probably change it right back. But I, I'm definitely going with Wanda and Cosmo as the favorites in that Yeah, part. for sure. All right, this is a self-generated fan question. <laughs> uh, who would we like to see as the Man of Steel 2 villain? Because you put out a great tweet. That's why I tossed yeah, this in there. Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, I, I'm someone who probably isn't the biggest Man of Steel fan in the world. But you've come around that, to it. Yeah, I have, you know, having said that, I, I definitely do like it overall. And I just tweeted today that it's pretty wild. It's been eight years since we got a, since Man of Steel came out. Now, I know Man of Steel underperformed financially. I know that Henry Cavill's in a very weird position at the moment with his role as Superman. He may or may not be continuing as Clark Kent, but I just don't really see how it's taken nearly a decade for any type of direct continuation. The first movie cost $225 million. If you shave $50 million on that, so it's still an extremely expensive $175 million movie, it may be slightly less action-packed, but you are guaranteed a profitable blockbuster at that level. Also, Man of Steel was profitable too. It just wasn't as profitable and as uh, and high gross. It's arguably as they the hoped. second best DCEU film. I think you can make the case it's arguably the first. I know uh, that we've. we've yes, you're preaching to the choir. Fuck yeah. It's the best. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's the best DCEU film. Let's go. Why not? So I, I guess it's just kind of mind boggling. <laughs> like if J.J. Abrams isn't right now working on a Man of Steel sequel for Warner Media, like why even go out and get him? Yeah. So and bring back Henry Cavill. So who if they went down that road, who would you like to see? Because even more so than 2013, now they've got the technology to do whoever the fuck they want. I think I would like to see Brainiac personally. That's always the go-to. Yeah. But I'm already worried about like the fandom wars being like, well they're just copying Ultron now. And like, I just am exhausted by that fictional debate that's already raging on film Twitter. You know what I mean? Brainiac would be very cool. I think that's the obvious choice. Um, I'm going with Bizarro because that concept as a kid was just so cool to me. Oh, like the opposite man? You know, like that's sort of what it was. Um, And seeing Superman, who this was already a very like 
ruminative, thoughtful take, seeing him confronted with what he could be at his worst, even though he's sort of gone through that with Zod already and Doomsday to an extent, but sort of like a distorted mirror held up to him, I think would be very cool. Yeah, I agree. I think that would be great. And I also wouldn't mind if it was uh, some some lesser known villains, you know, some guys we've seen on Justice League, but we may not know on like a name to name basis, like Mongrel or someone like that, who, yeah. who is definitely a physical threat. There, there's a lot of directions they could go in, and I really hope they give it to us because I think a Superman movie can work for modern Do you audiences. think that we ever get a Man of Steel 2? With like, Henry how- Cavill. Yeah. Gun to head. Yes. Yes, I wow, do. Wow, really? I know, and I would not have said that a few years ago, but I genuinely think it's J.J. Abrams' favorite you know, IP. It's it's too perfectly suited to Bad Robot. I really would be shocked if J.J. Abrams isn't working on some wow. version of A Man of Steel 2 do with you Henry Cavill. Think or, the, or he could be rebooting it for himself. I don't well, know. Do you think the reception to the Snyder Cut will play a role in that at all? No. Okay. Uh, listen, if it's if it's if even the hardest DC fans are saying, "Wow, that was terrible," which isn't going to be the case, then maybe they would rethink it. Otherwise, I think they're they're probably going to give it to us at some point. All right. Yeah. I just that think would there's be too dope. much money to potentially be made. That would be dope. That would definitely be cool. I hope so, man. Because that's a fucking dope movie. We will say it again. Man of Steel rips. <laughs> All right, well, I think that is it for us today. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll probably touch on Denzel's movie. We've got we'll a very cool guest coming up. We've got a very – do you want to let him know? Uh, well, all right, know? okay, okay. We are not going to reveal who, but I will tell you this. He is a Avenger, straight up. I think that's a good enough tease. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a damn good tease. I'm, <laughs> yeah. ex- I'm really excited for it, and this is all legwork Eric's been doing because he's great at his job and uh, – It's going to be fun, you guys. All right, y'all, but to repay me for me being great at my job and for Brandon for just being himself, five-star review. We need them. We crave them. We desire them. We appreciate y'all. We will talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. I'm going to make him an offer, Captain. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.